Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my friends Darcy and Zach Spafford. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Hi. Uh, tell us where you're calling in from. We're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or as they say in Algonquin, Milwaukee. And um, it's late at night there, and this is in January, so it's the cold time of year in Wisconsin. Um, listeners, we're going to talk about pornography. We've done a lot of episodes about pornography. As you may know, I have an Ensign article in the October Ensign, Seven Steps to Overcome Pornography. That's on page 72. But it's people like Zach and Darcy that come forth and are w willing to share their experience with pornography that often help you, our listeners, have better tools to solve this. Or if you're helping others solve this, Zach and Darcy will give you insights on how to solve this. Um, Zach is a member of a bishopric. He's had about a 25-year journey with pornography that started around age 8. He has been clean for over five years, and they have started a life coaching business um, helping others solve pornography, and we'll talk more about that and link to that in the show um, notes. And so it's our joint prayer that this podcast will be helpful for you. And if you're working to solve porn, that there will be information in this podcast that give you hope and better tools and a feeling that you too, like Zach, can put this behind you. Is that okay for an introduction, you two? That's perfect. Awesome. That's us, for sure. Tell our listeners how many kids you have and their age range. We only have eight children, <laughs> and our oldest is 16, and our youngest just turned three. And Darcy, tell our listeners if you homeschool these kids or send them off to public school. I'm crazy, and I homeschool them. Is... There, there's days where I question my decision, but... <laughs> Well, you, it's late at night and you both look very awake. So whatever you're doing is working. And my wife and I have been talking more about homeschooling. We didn't do that, but many in our ward and community are. And I, I've seen some of the benefits and the blessings of that. So it's wonderful what you're doing. Zach, why don't you talk and just introduce your journey? I think it started when you were about eight years old. Yeah, so the first time I ever saw a pornographic magazine was uh, in in a truck tire on a playground in Dugway, Utah. And I don't know why anyone ever played in those truck tires. They always smelled like cat pee, but I was in there and I found one. And that was the moment that I realized that there was something interesting in, in women and girls. And for the next literally 25 years, I struggled to quit pornography. I prayed, you know, desperately to my heavenly father to just remove this problem from me. In fact, one of the things that I sent you, and I think we can probably send out to any listeners who want it is a talk that I wrote yes, called that's why right. you can't pray away pornography. Um, and, and it just kind of goes through that journey that I went through to understanding, you know, I, I wasn't able to just say, Hey, heavenly father, can you just take this one thing away from me? This, this one thing, if you'll just fix this one thing, I'll be great. And I had to figure out that, you you know, you have to exercise your faith in the atonement and you have to exercise your capacity in, in agency to really leave this behind. And it, it's going to take both. And you can't just expect your Heavenly Father to stop it for you and then you'll be fine. And then, and you know, I went on a mission. I served a mission in Rome, Italy. My, my mission president is the current Rome temple president whom I love, you know, I came home, I met Darcy and we got married in, in the temple. And we th I thought this is going to be all solved. 
Darcy will be there for me and I won't need pornography anymore. And <laughs> which I think was a very common, yeah. thought, you know, especially back when we got married um, 17 years ago. Yeah. And I, I remember being at college at Rick's. Well, it was BYU Idaho then. Uh, after my mission, it was BYU, BYU Idaho. And before my mission, it was Rick's. And in fact, well, not really important, but fun little tangent. President Hinckley changed the name of the the college while I was on my mission. And I was like, I don't know if I can go back now. I don't want to go to BYU. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're at college together. We're living in our first, probably first, second apartment, whatever it was. And, you know, I'm turning back to pornography going, I'm stressed with school. I'm stressed with, you know, just being a husband and being able to provide. And I, I don't understand why this is happening to me. And so, I worked through that journey for a number of years and I, I went to 12 steps and I usually got found out by Darcy whenever I would slip up. And, and then I worked with bishops and I worked with counselors and I found that none of them had the answers. And I, I know that sounds like some sort of dire dramatic story, but the truth is they didn't have the answers. I, I never ever went to a single one of those individuals who, you know, could give me the steps that I ended up taking to resolve this. And this is not an unrepeatable process. This is something that anybody can repeat if they have the right steps in, in front of them. And every single time I would come away from those meetings thinking, yeah, this is it. I've got it. And every single time I found that I was going back to pornography because I didn't understand a lot of what was going on in my own mind, in my own body, in my own uh, emotions, and in the thought process that, that brought it to me. Right. And then when we had our twins, Darcy said, hey, listen, I don't care if you go to those meetings anymore. Yeah, our, our twins were number five and six, and we had six kids, seven and under, right? And I just was like, dude, you've been doing counselors, you've been doing bishops, you've been doing the 12 steps, like just stay home and help me parent these kids because clearly this isn't working and I need your help more than I need you to stop looking at porn at this point. Like that was kind of where I got which I don't know was the best place, but it, it did lead to where we are now. So I guess yeah. it, it worked perfect. out. Yeah, it was perfect. So at that moment, I was like, okay, I got to take a step back from this. And I started to learn about me. Like I took everything that I knew at that point And I said, what is going on? Why do I keep going back to this? And I started with simple things like trying to feel my feelings, right? I was, I had heard about this mindfulness stuff and I had kind of learned a little bit about it. And I started to just kind of check in and be like, why do I feel this way? What's going on here? And I also, you know, began to understand my agency better. Right. And one of the things that I often hear with, uh, with pornography users, with their spouses, with members of the church in general, our leadership is that you shouldn't look at pornography. You should never look at pornography and you can't look at pornography. It'll destroy your life. Right. And I find those statements to be both antithetical to agency and completely false. And, and, and I, I say that fully recognizing that there are going to be people listening to this who are like, no, those are true statements, right? That's, but the truth is, is that when you begin to pass off your capacity to choose to some other outside thing, you're, you're abdicating your agency. And what I mean by this is just real quick. 
you know, if you're a member of the church and someone comes to you and they say, hey, you're a Mormon, you can't drink coffee. A lot of people would say, I can, but I choose not to. And the moment that you, you know, in that same moment, if you were to say, you're right, I shouldn't, I can't, I'm not supposed to, because, you know, the word of wisdom says so, or my bishop says so, or the prophet says so, that's the moment at which you've abdicated your agency. You're saying that something else makes that decision for you. And, and I came to that understanding one day when I was like, I can totally look at pornography and, and I'm, I'm probably going to right now but I made that about my choice to choose it because I was responsible for it. Not because I was stuck or because I was trapped or because I was addicted, but it was because it was what I chose. And eventually I came to a place where I could answer whether or not I'm supposed to look at pornography the same way I can answer whether or not I'm supposed to drink coffee. I can, but I choose not to. And that is such a powerful understanding of agency and our capacity to choose that it began to give me the strength and the courage and the, and the, and the process to stop looking at pornography and make it so that it wasn't about me doing this thing so I could feel good. It was about me choosing not to do it and still feel the feelings that I had. And that was huge for me. And then, and then I just stopped it was funny. I mean, it wasn't like it, it was, there was no like monumental moment, right? <laughs> I think we like we like in our hero stories to have this monumental moment where the tide turns and the sun shines and the rain stops. That didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was a a, a process over yeah. like three years. It was like a three year process, I would say. Yeah, where you you know started really looking at your brain and really examining, okay, why am I turning to this? And you became more open with me. Yeah. You know, you were, you would call me from work and say, Hey, this is, this is what I'm feeling right now. And and we would talk about it and we would connect. Whereas in the past he would hide it and then I would find out about it. Right. And then it was this. Well, and I had thing. to hide all my emotions from you. Yeah. Right. Like I couldn't be stressed because that would stress her out. Right. As the provider, as a man, as the, you know, the knight in shining armor, you know, that that mythology that we've all learned from Disney movies where men saves woman, woman lives happily ever after man provides always right in that mythology, which we both had basically taken on. I wasn't allowed to be scared or frustrated or worried about my work. It wasn't really available to me. And so, you know, I, a lot of things in that time frame frame changed where it became, well, I'm going to tell you how I'm feeling because I want to connect with you and you're going to have to deal with your own emotions on that. And I'm not going to worry about whether or not you're freaking out, which was a big deal. Yeah. And, and for me, I really had to, <laughs> I really had to do a lot of growing up because I, you know, when we got married, I was really young and I was naive and I, I was used to a certain lifestyle, right? I, I came from well-to-do parents and I just was used to getting my way. And I was used to things being relatively easy, you know, besides, you know, normal life ups and downs. And so with, with Zach's pornography, it was such a huge, like powerful thing for me. And it, and it felt so crushing in the beginning. And I really, I mean, I let it control everything. Like I, it controlled every thought that I had. It controlled my, how I showed up with my kids. It it showed up in in how my friends and, you know, and I was very open and 
honest with people because I that's who I am. I would just tell people because I felt like I couldn't hide it. You know, I felt like I was like hiding this big dirty secret. And I didn't want people to say like, oh, so-and-so's husband looks at pornography and have me feel like, oh my gosh, that's my husband too. And I'm lying about it. Right. So I just, I was very open about it. And, you know, I really did have to learn that it's okay for Zach to have feelings. It's okay for him to express them. And it, and it doesn't mean that our whole world's going to end. Right. Like when he was climbing the corporate ladder, and he was stressed at work and he would tell me, I would be like, oh my gosh, are you, are you going to get fired? Did you mess up? Like, you know, like my brain went to this like anxiety freak out mode. And so it became apparent why he would one, not want to share those feelings with me and, and then hide them and suppress them and use pornography to deal with them. Right. And it's, so it's, it's kind of interesting when you really look back and you dissect the dynamic of our relationship, how in a way it was a perfect little storm for pornography to just be there as the comfort. Darcy, yeah. talk. This is really good. And um, you you probably know marriages that have ended over pornography and women that have recognized that for them to be healthy and to move forward, they're in an unhealthy marriage. And this is causing tremendous trauma in their lives. And they need to end this marriage and separate themselves from their husband. And if there's women out there listening that are in a marriage with um, a husband looking at pornography, can you give them some principles that say, and every situation is going to be different, principles that sort of say, this is worth staying in this marriage if, if these sort of criteria are being met, or this is sort of yellow, red flag-ish. If this is sort of going on, then it's probably, it's less likely the marriage will survive. Yeah, I I can talk a lot from my own experience. And for me and for the ladies that I work with, I always want to talk to them about that they have agency. And just like our husbands have agency to to view pornography, we also have agency of of to stay or go. And I feel like a lot of times when when pornography is in a marriage, it's so easy for the wife to feel stuck in like the victim. And like, this is all happening to me. And, and I have these kids, you know, that, that story that we tell ourselves, like, I can't leave because I, I have kids and how would I support myself if I'm a stay at home mom or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I say, start there and, and, and evaluate your marriage. Like, are you married to a good man? Like Zach was a phenomenal man. Like he, he was a loving husband. He was attentive to our children. He was a hard worker. He, you know, strived to live the gospel to the best of his abilities and, and, and serve in his church callings. And more times than not, the people that we work with, they're really good men. They are not like, you know, I think in our heads, we think that men that look at pornography are dirty or scumbags or, you know, a lot of men who struggle with pornography are the most amazing men out there. That's where I would begin is like, what qualities does my husband have that make him so amazing? I feel like when pornography is there, it's so easy to focus just on that, like becomes the sole focus. It's like, it's like, you know, almost like OCD in your brain where it's like all you can think about and, and you look at your husband and you think pornography and a woman walks by and you think, oh my gosh, my husband's going to be checking her out, right? And it just, it just becomes this broken record playing in your head. 
No, that's good. I This is a tender subject because I just know that you're aware of a lot of couples, the woman trying to figure out if it's the man with the pornography, just how to navigate this. Um, and I like where you say that fundamentally, Zach is a really good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really helped. Um, talk about just the impact on you. Um, other guests have talked about betrayal trauma. Um, if that's the right term I'm using, is that part of your journey um, and just the cost to you of Zach's pornography challenge and how you healed from that, if you fully healed from that? Because there's probably other women listening that you know have got significant emotional trauma is probably the best word that's not their fault that's come into their lives because of a spouse looking at pornography. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's so hard to, um, for a lot of women to look at pornography for really what it is. And that's like an an escape from their, like their husbands are trying to escape their unpleasant emotions. Right. And so the more you can learn and really understand why it is that your husband does turn to pornography and having that conversation and and connecting, it it really is pretty eye-opening. And I don't know, for me, it, it it helped me to feel so much more compassion and love for Zach to understand what he was struggling with and why he was struggling with it. And that I didn't have to make it mean anything about me. Right. Like when I, I always, I always say like I had postpartum depression with some of my kids. Right. And that's really hard. Like that is a hard thing to deal with. And I think, you know, when you're depressed, a lot of your, responsibilities can fall onto your, your husband, your, your spouse who, you know, kind of has to help pick up the slack where you're, you're lacking. And I just always like to think about that as like, if Zach was like, look at here, if you are depressed one more time after you have a baby, like, that's it, I'm out of here. Right. And I know that like pornography use and depression are different, but to me, I just look at it as it's a struggle and we all have struggles and it's so easy to be like, well, my struggle is more moral than your struggle, right? Your struggle is immoral and mine is moral or, right? Like, but if you take out the morality part of it and you really get to the heart of the problem, it's so much easier to work together and fix it. It's a great, really good answer. You know, and, and as far as the betrayal trauma goes, I felt that. I felt that hurt. I felt that pain for so many years. And eventually it just was going to kill me. Right. And, and it just felt so heavy. And the more I learned about it and the more I connected with Zach and we, we began really learning about pornography, the more I was able to be like, no, this is really not about me. Like this is truly about Zach. Just like when I overeat and I, you know, don't feel happy with how much I eat. I am not, that doesn't mean anything about Zach. That just means I had a really hard day with the kids and I ate some chocolate and I might even go back and eat more chocolate when I think things like, Oh, I shouldn't eat this chocolate or, Oh, I'm never going to lose weight. Or, you know, all of those negative thoughts that you tell yourself. And I just relate that to Zach when he was struggling with pornography. And then it helps me to have more compassion and love for him and, and really 
you know, compassion and love for myself, right? Because I, I, I'll be honest, if Zach were to come to me and say, hey, I looked at pornography, I'm sure my first reaction would be to freeze up a bit, sure. right? And, and have to deal with those emotions that come, but then, you know, step back and, and center myself and really look at it for what it is and then connect and have that conversation versus, you know, that fight or flight where you just want to, you want to fight, right? Or some want to, fl- you know, flee and you want to run away and hide and, you know, cold shoulder type thing. But I think this speaks to the reality that 99.99% of our decisions are about us. When we do something, it's about us. It's very rarely about anyone else. Not because we don't love other people, not because those other people are not important to us, but when we do things, we do it because inherently we are trying to achieve some end for ourselves, right? And and it's important to recognize, you know what, I, I fully recognize that there are women out there who are just devastated by this. And, and that's not, that's not a surprise to anyone. What I think is available and what I think Darcy has described is this possibility that, you know, if this, if this behavior that your husband's exhibiting isn't about you, then what is it about? And if it's about something that he is struggling with, doesn't that open up an opportunity for you to both create a greater intimacy within your relationship rather than a, a battle where, you know, I need to be taken care of because I've had betrayal trauma and you need to fix my problem. That's a, I mean, I'm sensing one of the things that has been the path to healing is this open communication um, of feelings, deep feelings that, Often for men, it, I don't know, maybe for men and women, it's hard sometimes to open up with deep feelings, but it it seems to be part of the path to solve this and for healing, which has actually brought you together in this beautiful marriage I sense you have is this open communication and sharing about these feelings and understanding how each other works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of funny because... When I first found out about this, like it was three days after I had a miscarriage in 2008, right? When, when all of it came tumbling down, like before that I'd seen like a bikini picture, you know, and gotten upset about it, but it it didn't explode to what it did in 2008. And And how many years married were you at that point? We got married in 2003. So this is five years into your marriage. Yeah, but yeah. this has been going on most of your marriage, and um, and it was found out at five years into your marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and you know it was it was so hard in those early days, and I you know I when I look at the betrayal trauma model, which you know there's different models for dealing with this. There's more like the addictive betrayal trauma model, and then. There's more to like what we prescribe to and as, causal coaching, yeah. which... but I think of it as intimacy, connection, compassion, and love. That's, that's my model. I don't, that's I don't know what it's one. called. It's a good model. I think yeah, we should call it that. That's the intimate, what I call it. Intimacy, connection, <laughs> compassion, and love model. That's the model. The betrayal trauma is so much about the woman being the victim. And when you're 
when you're the victim, you're powerless. And when you feel powerless, like where's hope? Where, where do you go from there? And, and that's a really, really, really hard place to be. And so that's, that's where I'm like, I don't want to be that victim, right? I don't want to stay stuck and I don't want to feel like I'm a victim to pornography. I just think like, how cool would that be? Instead of thinking, you know, pornography destroys marriages and we're like, no, pornography is the thing that makes marriages stronger because it's so common. Like it's so very common. Like I, you know, I was reading a study and I, it was saying that like 70% of BYU male students admitted to using pornography on a regular basis. Right. And so prevalent and we can either allow it to destroy our marriages and pull us apart, or we can grow together and connect and figure it out because pornography only has as much power as we give it. Well, and I really like that because it gives you, it's, it's an indicator. And we often talk about pornography being a symptom, not the actual problem and seeing it as an indicator that, Oh, my husband's turning to pornography or my wife is turning to pornography, uh, which, which is common, right? It happens on both sides of the, of that divide, right? Uh, as a moment to find out how we can connect more thoroughly and more openly rather than a moment to say you're broken you need to fix this that that would be i think a a phenomenal mind shift for you know people in general but especially members of the church to to really see pornography for what it is an opportunity to solve a problem together I like that, and it may be step two. I mean, I think if someone's just finding out about a long-term pornography problem for a spouse, there's going to be that storming, that reality, all the pain that comes with the spouse that's been betrayed, and I think we need to validate that pain and the pain you felt. But I do like where you need to go going forward. You need to decide, is this marriage worth saving? Is this fundamentally a good person? And you listed all the things that were good about Zach, I mean, I could keep going versus, you know, (laughs) things that we would say in unhealthy marriages. And it's just just another cog in an incredibly unhealthy, abusive marriage. And this is just another symptom or another cog. So I think and that's why I think it's good. You have a coaching business we want to link to us so people can connect with you. Um, Darcy, I I want you to talk because I get all these messages from BYU students working to solve porn. Um, and their girlfriends, they open up to their girlfriends and their girlfriends don't know what to do about this. They're worried they're going to have 25 years. Like, you know, they're worried that this is something that's going to be in their marriage for a long time. And they're wondering, should I end this relationship over this guy that's got a porn problem or will this go away? What advice do you give to, you know, a woman and it could be a man um, dating a guy that's got a porn problem. And it may not be a major porn problem in the sense it's twice, three times a day. It may be once a week type of a problem. Yeah, which I think is very common. Right? Yeah, I actually, you know, I, I, one, one young lady that I work with, you know, she messaged me and I just helped her out because I'm so passionate about this. And you know, she's dating a guy and she's like, he's great. Like we connect, like we we're so open. He's open with me. And, um, 
you know, I, I can see a future with him, but like he struggles with pornography and, you know, he's, he's always open with me about it, but like, what, what does this look like long-term? Right. And, and the reality is you don't know, right. You don't know. And whether I always like to think about it as, well, that's so awesome that he's being open and honest with you. Like that shows so much about his character because think of how scary that would be to come out to a girlfriend, right? It's, it would be so much easier to hide it from your girlfriend and get married and make it look like life's perfect and then have it discovered later. Right. And so, which I think for my generation is, you know, I'm 37. It it was a lot more common for it to be hush hush. It wasn't as talked about. And so I feel like my generation and the older generations really find out about it in marriage. But I think, you know, finding out about it when you're dating, how powerful that is that you can already connect on that level and have those conversations. And I just am like, don't throw away a good man because he struggles with pornography. Yeah. I think one of the things that I I recall as being one of those pieces of advice that we heard that was given to the young women, at least when I was a young man was, Hey, if somebody's got a porn problem, you run away. Right. And I think that that does so much disservice to everyone, you know, for the young men, it does this disservice that says you're not worth the atonement. You're not worth being by your side and, uh, you know, helping you resolve this problem. And for the young women, it, it gives an indication that this is insurmountable, unsolvable and unfixable. Right. And, 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 and I think it's really important to recognize that these young men who are talking to their girlfriends, they, that reality that they are having this conversation about pornography with young women that they're, I mean, really and truly new to, you know, you, you've been in, I don't know how long you've been married, but we've been married over 15 years. What is it? 17 years now, 17 years now. And like, we know each other in, in very significant and intimate ways. And to come to someone with your greatest struggle and say to them, this is my struggle. You know, one, that is, that is just an extraordinary act of courage, but two, it's also a significant indicator to me that this isn't about that young woman. This problem existed before she was even known to this young man for, for the most part. And it will you know, very possibly be something that exists after they break up if they do. Right. And, and so it's one of those things that you got to kind of look at and go, well, wait a minute, are people with a pornography problem? Are they just throwaways or can we solve this and will it help us be stronger? You know, I think if, if you're given the struggle of, of, uh, you know, losing a job as a, as a man, right. And that's the struggle that you have and your wife stands by you. We all applaud that. It's just an amazing story. It, you know, if, if your struggle is that you lose a limb or that you, um, or that you decide that you're going to create a, an organization, a company out of nothing, right? All of those struggles that we have looked at traditionally and said, those are the, you know, those people are achieving amazing things. Those are the struggles that we, you know, want to lionize. And we look at this struggle and we go, this isn't the one. <laughs> This is not the struggle you want. And we talk about this with our clients and we're like, well, what struggle would you like? Would you like your husband to be a heroin addict? Would you like you, would you like to lose a child? Would that be better? Sometimes we get people who are like, I'd rather have my husband be addicted to drugs than looking at pornography. Or like, I would rather cancer 
Right. Right. Like, and I think that shows how much shame we add to pornography, right? That it's like, I would rather my husband almost be dying of cancer and fighting, literally fighting for his life than have this struggle with pornography. Yeah. And that it's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> so those, I mean, to those young women and to the young man, I would say, keep back, keep talking about it. Keep having those conversations. Cool. Um, I'm thinking of a zoom call I did with a BYU student that just had the courage to reach out to me. And he's just, just like you, Zach, um, fresh back from his mission. I'm thinking of you and you got home from Rome and my yeah. wife and I have been in that mission home. I love that mission home in Rome. And, um, so beautiful, it's, isn't it? it's a beautiful mission home. And, um, but anyway, he just, you know, he just sort of was pleading for, um, perspective on how to talk to his girlfriend, but then I think he, he's also just helped me overcome this. And I want you to talk to him. He probably doesn't want 25 years of this. So it's sort of like now that you've you know been on this road for 25 years plus and solved it, um, what can you, and he doesn't want to take 25 years to solve this. <laughs> you know, I just, you, your 21 year old self doesn't want 25 years to solve this. Actually, you know, it started at age eight, so it was before your 21-year-old self. Just talk to those that, please, I just want to, this to be, I just want to solve it now. Yeah, so that is that is such a good question. And I, I wish I had known what I know now when I was 21. Right. When I had, you know, returned from my mission, I think I was actually 22 when I got home from my mission. And just before we got married and I was, you know, this was still part of my life. It was such a struggle. And I, I wish I had known then what I know now, which number one, you're enough. The atonement has paid for this. You, you can stop beating yourself up about it, right? That's enough. Okay. So once you get to that point, then you can start to begin the process of understanding, okay, well, what are, what is actually creating this in my life? And it's, it's what we believe. It is things that we believe that create this in our lives and keep it being a problem. And so you need to work with somebody, you need to work with a coach. You need to work with a, a counselor who knows what to do that, um, you know, Cameron Staley, who's a great advocate of acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, because it has significant and demonstrable results available to it, right? And what's what I find extraordinary is in my own journey through this work, it, I created what basically is acceptance and commitment therapy out of my own head because I found the things that worked, right? And and I find it extraordinary that that the principles that I do and teach people and help people understand are the same principles that you learn in something that, you know, these very highly educated, extraordinary scientists are looking at and going, this is actually the way to create change. Right. And, and so I would say to that young man, I would say, find the resource it's available, whether you go to, you know, to our website, we created a membership so that our, our product is available at a, at a, at anybody's price point. Tell right? listeners your website and we'll do it again at the end. You can go to zackspafford.com and you can click on the join the membership. It is, it's $47 a month right now. C-A-C-H. Z-A-C-H. Spafford. S-P-A-F-F-O-R-D. Okay. Dot com. You can join the membership. It's available 
to anyone at, at that price point. I think, you know, you can find $50 a month for most people in this world. Right. And, and that was, that was our goal was to create something that anybody could find and use. And the, the truth is, is that when you decide, okay, I want to solve this problem, take the first step, whatever that step is. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it was for me, but take the first step action, take action. You know, as a coach, my goal is to help people play better for the next game, right? If you think back to your days as, as a high school football player, my, my days as a high school football player, I, I never heard my coaches yell at me for a play that I made six months ago or six weeks ago, or even in the last game, what they would do is they would come to me and they would say, Hey, I've got a new skill for you. I want you to practice this skill and this skill is going to help you so that in the next game, you're going to be able to achieve this target better than you were able to achieve it in the last game, right? That's what coaches do. That's what I do. That's what Darcy does for women. We help people play the next game better than we played the last game. And, and if you will take that first step, whatever this young man's name is, right? If he will take that first step, to moving forward, to finding a new skill, to finding a new capacity, he will begin the journey that he needs to take so that he can stop looking at pornography forever. Not just, you know, for a period of time so he can go on his mission, not just for a period of time so he can get married, not just for a period of time so he can be, you know, worthy of a calling forever. Because once you begin the process of understanding the thoughts that create the emotions that create the actions that you're taking, which are currently looking at pornography, then you can start to change those thoughts, which by the way, that is the definition of repentance. And this occurred to me recently and I've, I've loved it so much. So we, we heard this term first in the book of Mormon, a mighty change of heart. And it's used in that, in that terminology of repentance. If you remember briefly what the book of Mormon was written and it was written in reformed Egyptian. Take a little bit of a trip back in, in time to ancient Egypt and what they did in terms of embalming their pharaohs. They believed that your heart was the place where you thought and where your soul was. So let's think about that. So if your heart is the place where, where your uh, mind is, not your brain, but your heart, a mighty change of heart means to change your mind. Well, that really fits well with the ancient Greek version of repentance, which is metanoia, which means to have a new mind. And, it, and then the Latin version, which is repentance, right? Pentire, which is to think, right? And now we go, oh, what if all I need to do is change what I believe to more closely align with what my Heavenly Father believes about me, that I'm a child of God, that I have agency and I can look at pornography but I don't want to. So I'm going to choose not to rather than I'm stuck. I'm an addict. I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm broken. I'm, uh, you know, all of those things that we do, those shoulds, those things that we do to punch ourselves in the face and tell ourselves we have to be punished for something that we've done. I, I do not believe the gospel is a gospel of punishment. I've yet to find, uh, a, an understanding within the scriptures. And there's probably a reference that someone will talk, but I'm sure, I'm sure you'll get a note that says, well, in the scriptures, it says you get punished for this, right? But I don't find the atonement to be a, a, a gospel and, and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't find it to be one of punishment. I find it to be one of figuring things out, learning, growing, and moving towards Heavenly Father. I love that, listeners. Um, we've referenced Cameron Staley a couple times. He's episode 
345, um, Dr. Cameron Staley on pornography. A great episode. So if anybody wants to, after listening to this episode, go to that one. There's some good content there. We also, on the Listen, Learn, and Love um, website, um, there's a, a, a link across the top called Podcasts. And we have podcasts. They're sorted by type. And there is a, a button that says Pornography. And if you want to um, Zach and Darcy's podcast to be listed here, but there's a bunch of podcasts on pornography. Um, if you want to just zero in on this type of a podcast, um, everything you're sharing resonates with me. Um, I remember, and I've shared this when I was called to be a YSA bishop, the stick president set me apart and left. And there was a line of young men and young women ready to meet me. And the first guy, I still remember, six-foot guy, still, I won't say his name, but he came in and and he talked about pornography. And um, the last day I was released, we were talking about pornography. And to be honest, we had, I had very few success stories. Um, I don't want listeners to get discouraged in that, but I just recognized, as you said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, I just didn't have the answers. And most of what I ended up helping with the YSAs with are things the YSAs taught me that was working for them that then I regurgitated to other YSAs. But a couple things really have resonated with me during that time and that you mentioned. I just want to go back to them. One is the power of the atonement and that Christ has already paid the price. And sometimes culturally we have this visual where every time I mess up, I'm adding to Christ's burden and his cross gets a little heavier. And I don't, that's not our doctrine, listeners. He has paid the price. He loves to forgive. Um, He rejoices in us taking advantage of this incredible gift of him. And um, he celebrates the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep. When something is lost and found, it makes him happy. So you have to turn to Christ and and use the power of the atonement as a gift that's been given to you and not as adding to Christ's burden, because then I don't think you're as likely to turn to him, and you'll just feel added shame for your mistake. And Which then leads to pornography again. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right. Darcy. And then I got to feel better. And then this other thing you said, and I wrote it down, is you're always worthy of God's love. That is something that's not earned, listeners. Um, now, you know, being able to go to the temple or being able to fully participate in a church is something that's earned. But I believe really strongly that just because of your divine nature as a child of heavenly parents, you are worthy of their love and nothing you can do can take them outside, can take you outside of their love. And so I think that, so then you have this mindset, well, you know, I'll, because sometimes you have this mindset, I'll solve pornography and then I'll return to my heavenly father and feel like praying again and feel like I'm worthy of his love. But that's just what Satan wants you to do is to isolate you. So you've got to just believe that they love you as you are right now and not when you get into a future better space, because I think it's just more likely you'll make progress. So a couple things that um, Zach and Darcy, I said, I really believe strongly. And I and I, you know, in this article I wrote, and I don't want to spend too much time because you can go read it in the end sign, but I talk about lapse versus relapse, which is one of the things the YSAs taught me. And relapse is where you just give up mm-hmm. <laughs> and you sort of just binge. But lapse is where you slip up and you have an honest discussion about what happened. 
and you don't and you look at it as a learning experience to understand what are the what series of events led f- to a slip up and some YSAs would write that down in their written prevention plan to try to use that as a as a learning experience and better enable the cognitive part of their brain to be in control the next time a set of circumstances mit- match the same circumstances that caused the slip up and to understand what, and then to write a prevention plan of the things they could do when they were triggered. I've I've always felt that triggers are pretty normal, um, but it's it's just developing skills to manage those triggers until they pass. And and so it's just some thoughts um, from other people that have shared with me that I put in that Insign article. But well, I love that Insign article. I I actually read it um, a number of a while back, and I I didn't realize that it was you that had written it uh, even till probably just a few minutes ago. Right. (laughs) And I had seen that article. I had read it and I was like, yep, I wish I had known every single one of these things 10, 20 years ago. If you had known all those things, Zach, would you have solved this? Did time solve this for you? No, Uh, Uh, I I will say the one thing, the one thing that, probably could be added to that. And I, and I, I don't remember all seven of them at this, at this moment. Cause it's been a while since I don't I either. It. I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> See, right. But I think the one thing that could be added to that would Good. be someone who can coach you through it. And I, I, I like recognize that. That, I, that, you know, that sounds a little bit self-serving coming from a guy who's a coach, but I, the truth of reality is that most of the time we're not very good about at reading the label from inside the bottle it's not super easy to read the label from inside the bottle and being able to have someone help you see what's happening is invaluable in actually achieving the results that you're looking for. You you know, you think of Tiger Woods who arguably is one of the greatest golfers of all time and a single person, you know, he plays an individual sport. It's just him. He has a, he has a coach, not just because, coaches are something you're supposed to have when you play sports, but because a coach helps you see what it is that you're missing. Not that you're broken, but he helps you see things that you can't see because they can put a second set of eyes on it that you just can't. Keep, another thought I had, sorry. Thoughts. Oh. Yeah. I love that. Zach, go for it, Darcy. Um, another thought I had, it's so easy as the wife to put all of your energy into trying to fix your husband. And that's like, that becomes your main focus. And where I really started making a ton of progress was in, when we lived in California and I was super miserable and I didn't want to be miserable anymore. I was like, I'm done focusing on you and, and, and pornography. I'm going to focus on me. And I'm going to do, I'm going to do stuff that I love. And so I took horseback riding lessons, which is, you know, when you have a young family, that's like a big part of your budget. But I was like, I'm doing this because I love this. I remember loving it as a kid and I'm going to do this for me. Right. And I'm going to go on those, those girls night outs because I, I want to connect with other women and have fun. And I'm not going to worry what my husband does while I'm gone. And, you know, all of those things where it was like, not that I was selfish, but that I was, I'm going to take care of me. And, and I feel like that gave Zach a space to then take care of him. Right. Because when he felt like he had to take care of me because I was so pained, it it, it made it. So he then wasn't focusing on himself. He was trying to make me better at the expense of him. 
And, and I think that that goes both ways, right? And and we have to equally take care of ourselves yeah. because when we're both taking care of ourselves, then we can connect and love each other yeah. and not, not, you know. Come to the marriage and make yourself a whole person. Don't expect your spouse to make, make you a whole person. You have to be 100% and they have to be a hundred percent. And, and the truth is, is that when she stopped freaking out about, you know, whether or not I was going to be okay and would go on those girls nights, she was able to fill her own cup and create the person that she wanted to be. And I, in turn, there were things that I decided, I, you know, this is what I'm going to do. You know, for me, it was going to play basketball with, you know, with the guys at the church on a, on a regular basis. And before there were nights definitely where she would have said, no, please don't go. And I would have been like, Oh, she needs me. And then at some point I got to a place where I was like, I need this so that I can come back and be a whole husband for her. That's great. And, and that's, that's important for all of us to, to recognize. You got to be a whole person. Talk about why you started the coaching business. You could have just solved pornography and moved on. (laughs) Um, with your career. Yeah, that, that's a, That's actually a good question. We had, a, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for a number of years now. We have a couple of, you know, ventures that we really enjoyed doing that were, we were passionate about that we thought would make us a great deal of money. And I went to my business partner at one point and I said to him, Hey, I'm going to continue doing this with you, but I know that this is going to make us the money that we need, but I'm going to do, I'm going to become a life coach, not because I need to, but because it's going to fulfill me as a person. And and I, I feel like, you know, once we decided this, like we got out his patriarchal blessing and I got out mine and it was like, whoa, like it was so clear that we were on the path that we needed to be on. And we made tons of sacrifices to do this, right? It wasn't easy. And so, yeah, there were definitely these passages in our patriarchal blessing where we're like, those don't make any sense to us right now. They make no sense to us. And, you know, we're approaching 40, we're in our mid thirties and like mine was, yeah, this is not detailed, but like I'd be involved in a community. Okay. I have never even spoken church because I'm scared to talk in front of people. Like, so the idea that I would be involved in community, I was like, this is so wrong. Right. I don't, that, that's not who I am. And I, I feel like this is our community is, is helping couples thrive even if pornography is in their marriage, yeah. right? I, I feel like we have so many, so many things that we struggle with, right? Like uh, mine is I get angry and I yell at my kids, right? Like that's not a super awesome moment, but, and, and, you know, Zach, I don't know what, what other struggles do you have? Like we all have struggles, right? But like pornography is that one struggle that it's like, we expect perfection on mm. always, it's very There's zero tolerance for, for any sort of issues there. Yeah. And, and I feel like that creates undue pressure that then, I don't know, it kind of I, blooms. Yeah. It, 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 it it's just kind of interesting. Issue. Yeah. It compounds the issue and, and, and in compounding the issue by, you know, putting that pressure of not this being an unacceptable behavior and you're ostracized from your community and you're destroying your spouse's life and you're destroying your life. You know, all of that pressure creates this, this, I, I would say a pressure cooker where, yeah. where 
a lot of times this just explodes and it becomes too monumental. I just picture my Instapot when, when you open your Instapot and it's like, right. And, and if we can go back to that idea of just saying, you know what, this is not the problem. This is just a symptom. And if you can take this symptom and recognize it for what it is, an opportunity to create a greater capacity in your marriage, to have intimacy, to create compassion for yourself and for your spouse and for your children and for everyone around you, then, then you're going to thrive. And if you don't, it's going to crush you, but it'll be of your own making. You know, there's a, this is really a wonderful podcast and great insights. And I just think of Satan's role in all this and his role to create shame. And um, pornography is a sin. And so I'm confident that Satan's, you know, rejoices in the amount of pornography in the world and the spread of pornography and the way it can divide marriages and ruin marriages. Um, but I think he also w- ultimately wins about the shame he can create and the isolation and the self-loathing. And if you can bring pornography out of the shadows and talk about it in a marriage like you have done and get the appropriate help which you have done and develop the communication which you have done and the honesty and the work you've done, then that's part of the path to healing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, shame says I am bad versus I did something bad. Shame wants to isolate us from the atonement, from Heavenly Father, from each other, and this is the de-shaming podcast sometimes, and you guys are de-shamers. And <laughs> I sometimes talk about um, the iceberg concept because the therapist taught me this when I was helping the YSAs with pornography. Listeners, you've probably heard this before, but it's sort of what you're teaching. It's what you're teaching that often all, what the YSAs wanted to talk about and what I could see in the situation was pornography. And it was, But that was really just the tip of the iceberg. And the longer I served, the more I'd... Once they'd open up about pornography, I'd quit talking about pornography. I'd sort of put that on the shelf and try to figure out what was going down at the bottom of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes we need a therapist or life coaches to do that. But that's often when we solve pornography, because like you're teaching, it wasn't about pornography. It was about all these other Mm -hmm. things at the bottom of the iceberg that needed to be addressed and understood to fully solve pornography. And that was just a very helpful principle for me, listeners, that helped me help others. And perhaps those of you that are working to solve pornography, maybe you can get down to the bottom of your own iceberg and understand what's really going on down there. Because I don't think it's a desire to be evil um, uh, or to figure out the very best way you can hurt somebody or turn your back on God. Yeah. Um, I think if you look at it as this is some coping mechanism that's come into my life that may eventually turn into an addiction and can be destructive to me and other people I love. But if you start to understand why it's there in the first place and what you can replace um, instead of that, then you're on the path to healing. I read this quote a lot. It reminds me of you too. It's called The Wounded Healer. It's by Henry Norwin. And he writes, a minister's service, and that's you too, will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. So that is what you two are doing. And it takes a lot of courage. You know, there's no... um, 
there's no, you know, church leaders really opening up about their pornography use in general conference. I don't know if that will ever happen. I don't know if any church leaders have ever had a challenge with pornography. My guess is bishops and stake presidents and other church leaders have, and maybe they will feel impressed to open up in appropriate situations. But I don't want to get too much into that, but just recognize your courage to do what you're doing and the hope it gives to others, the wounded healer. You know this desert. You're talking about it so you can authentically lead others out. And that is what we need as part of our baptism covenants. And we need each other to help each other to solve these things. And Satan wants to isolate us. And um, what you're doing is is bringing light to this subject in a very appropriate and helpful way. So now I've spoken too long. I'll leave it back to—we're going to close now, but I want to make sure that Darcy and Zach have their final thoughts. My final thought is just if you're married to a good man and you love him, there's hope. And even if he struggles with pornography, he can still be a great man and you can still have a thriving marriage and that it's totally figure outable. And you just have to be willing to, to, to kind of ride, ride the storm, you know, and, and, and be there for each other. We have a podcast that we do every week called the self mastery podcast. And that provides a lot of free help and, and, um, opportunity for you to hear more about our story and and what we what we teach and kind of our philosophy yeah absolutely you know i I work with men every single day who are looking for something more in their lives and I, i i turned back to some of my notes from one of the clients that i just spoke with and what he said is he wanted intimacy he wanted to have empathy not just to be the recipient of empathy, but to have empathy, to be worthy. He wanted to be the father that he wanted to be. And he wanted the family life that he wanted, right? He wanted to have all these gifts in his life. And those are the things that the men who are looking at pornography and want to stop, those are the things that they're thinking about. They desperately want to live up to the covenants that they've made in the temple the covenants that they made at baptism, the covenants that they made to their spouses, they desperately want to live up to those things. And I, I, I hope that we can give them credit for that. And I recognize, I fully recognize the heartache and the despair that comes to the wives when they find out that, that for the, you know, maybe for the first time or maybe for the second time or maybe for the 50,000th time that their husbands looked at pornography. But I want you to recognize that the men that I work with, they are extraordinarily focused in on becoming better. And there is no greater calling in this life than to move in that direction, to move forward and be the better version of you that you can be. And this has been an extraordinarily lovely conversation. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you so much for having us. So please go to ZachSpafford.com, listeners. Please check out their podcast, Self Mastery Podcast. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. And, um, you know, I'm just looking. One of the things I concluded with my article on the Ensign was a message of you're the first generation managing 24-7 access. I'm 60 years old. I had no <laughs> access. <laughs> um, yeah. and, but you're, and so I think it's peaking with your generation. 
um, listeners, um, you and the people like Zach and Darcy stepping forward to give you better tools. So I have great hope that this is peaking. You are becoming the leaders and the parents. So I'm thinking we haven't talked about this, but mm-hmm. you're parents of eight kids and you are, have much better skills than I had at your age with parents of six kids uh, to talk about this. So it's one of the other reasons that I think it's peaking. Um, it's not necessarily going to be solved, but 24-7 access isn't going to have any more access than it is now. What is changing is just we have better tools, and we have um, people that are parents now and leaders that have had to manage their own 24-7 access and have had to develop the skills that Zach and Darcy have. So I have great hope um, for the future of this issue in our church, and it's because of couples like Zach and Darcy and others that have been on the podcast that are bravely stepping forward and sharing their stories. So this is um, Zach and Darcy Spafford and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.